Hello and welcome to another episode of Last Week in Localization. Um, this is actually a very special episode that should be called This Week in Localization because today we are talking about some news that are fresh off the bat. And um, I have a very special guest with me today as well. And that is Josh Gold, CEO of The Big Word. Nice, uh, nice to see you again, Sarah, and thank you for having me on what you call a special, uh, a, a special um, version of your show. So thank you very much. For having me. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. I mean, the show usually airs on Monday, and we kind of review what happened the week before. But um, we made an, or I made an exception for you because you have big news. Um, but before we get to those, um, maybe just for those who don't know you as well as I do, because at this stage, you and I, I feel like we go way back. We've talked many times. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So uh, I am the CEO of the Big Word Group, um, father of two, um, sailing legend. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, but what I do most Most of the days work with my big word family. Uh, so that, that gives you a bit of an insight uh, to myself. And uh, the big word, uh, if you're not familiar with us, we are one of the largest LSPs in the world, uh, top 20. And uh, we have um, over 500 people uh, working for us around the world. And we are headquartered out of the UK where I'm sitting today. And normally I'm speaking to you from uh, New York, but uh, where I live. But, uh, today I'm in uh, a unsurprisingly gray and gloomy uh, England, but I'm not <laughs> feeling gray and gloomy. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> All right. Um, so the title is already giving it away, uh, what we're talking about. Um, and that is that the big word just sold its majority stake. Um, in your own words, um, tell us what happened. Well, you know, We have been bootstrapping the company for the best part of 41 years now. And we've built this magnificent management team. Uh, we've been building, uh, and I think a lot of people know, uh, we built the WordSync app. Um, and, you know, this is a, a, what we call internally uh, and our clients call uh, a multilingual communication tool. And uh, we've put in tens of millions of dollars. Uh, and the Gould family has been one of the longest uh, serving investors in the language industry and one of the largest investors. But what our dream is, is that the WordSync app becomes the de facto multilingual communication tool. We want it to become what Google is to search. And for that, we knew that we needed um, a partner. And we, needed, we knew that we needed a some type of partner, uh, a partner that would bring patient capital that could back the management team, that could get behind the strategy. Uh, and also understood um, the public sector because about 60% of our revenue is public sector. So uh, that's not in a, you know, you, you would think that would be easy to find, but uh, there's not very much patient capital uh, in the money markets. And uh, we were approached by Susquehanna, mm -hmm. uh, uh, or Susquehanna Private Capital, and um, we immediately clicked. And um, I'm not sure if you're married or... Uh, but I if, am actually, it, it, happily. 
Yes. So you know what that moment's like when you're on a first date or a second date, maybe it took you a little longer <laughs> and you realize this is probably the one. I do. Recall and that was about, yeah, and that was about four or five months ago. And we've been working really hard to get this deal over the line. And I'm really delighted uh, today uh, to share the news, but also uh, not work on the deal anymore and go back to, you know, 100% focus on the business. So uh, thank you for having us on and, and giving us the opportunity to share, share the news. And I think it's great news for the whole industry, by the way, because this is a big American investor, a huge company. Uh, uh, their parent company has tens of billions of dollars uh, in management and they're recognizing the industry is an exciting place to put their money and they're investing outside of the US as well because you know the big world group is headquartered in the UK and I think that's a big shift in, yeah. in what we've seen historically. Absolutely and I want to come back to this later I actually have this as one of my questions uh, or the talking points. Um, but before we get to that, uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about the, the process of finding an investor and like finding the, the right partner. Like how do you choose the right investor? Because I know when we talked as well, you said um, you've been approached by different companies. Um, um, but how, how did you find the right one? And what, what is the process anyway that an LSP has to go through when it comes to finding an investor? Listen, I, I liken it to uh, to getting married before, and it, it is like that. You, there are always people who want to invest money uh, in good businesses, and you have to first of all decide what you want. Uh, 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 you know, just like when you're dating, you you, you have an idea of what you want, and uh, as you start to date, you find that maybe what you want isn't exactly what you want, and you so you have to start to formulate your view on what is good for the business and what is good for the people within the business, what is good for the industry, what is good for the linguists, most importantly, that we rely on every single day. And uh, so that's the first part of the process is decide what you want. And then for the big word, you know, and I, and I can only tell you for the big word, mm -hmm. um, we did have people approaches every single day. I'm sure most of them were, you know, just emailing everyone on a database. <laughs> But I would say at least two, three times a week, we had a genuine and serious approach mm -hmm. uh, from someone in the industry or private equity uh, predominantly. Um, and um, we, uh, we I, I would regularly meet with them just to see what they had to say and to, uh, you know, to, to figure things out. But uh, we didn't run a process like, like a lot of companies do, uh, which if you're not familiar with a process, it's essentially like a silent auction mm -hmm. where you go with a banker and the banker puts it out to 100 pre-approved people and they all put in their, their, their offers and then you get whittled down and they say best and final. We, we didn't do that. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but, uh, uh, but we wanted to be a lot more careful about the relationship before we, uh, you know, before we decided to, you know, jump into bed, uh, you know, and get married. So uh, that's the process, really. And, and people keep asking me, was it different because of COVID? Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately, of course, you're utilizing different technology than you may have pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, there's no difference. You know, or, you know, these investors... Uh, that invest in our industry and certainly Susquehanna, they're very professional. They know exactly what they need, what they're looking for, what they want to achieve. 
And, um, you know, and I really enjoyed the process. People keep saying, oh, it's not for the faint hearted. I bet you're not good. I bet it was hell. I enjoyed, you know, 95% of it. And uh, the other 5% wasn't all that bad. It was just, <laughs> you know, just nerve wracking. And, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, and Susquehanna flew despite COVID, um, selling quarantines if they needed to do so, got to know our management. They visited us in the UK and the US. Um, and I visited them in, in the Middle East as well in one of their offices. And, you know, they took their time, you know, getting to know us. So, you know, I'm really proud to work with uh, partners like that. Mm -hmm. So um, it sounds like it is um, a fairly lengthy process. Like you said in the beginning, you know, you were approached by um, different companies and you had conversations, but it didn't work out. Then eventually you clicked with SPC Global and then um, the whole process started with several meetups and going through the whole process together. Um, and talk to me a little bit as well about um, the role of advisors, because I mean, Nimsy worked with your investors. Um, did you have visibility on that? Uh, did you know that they were getting outside help? What was that like? Yes, I, I think it's important that you can trust the people that you're trying to create a deal with and ultimately own a business with mm -hmm. and operate on behalf of. So I, again, I, I only have my own experience to go by, but our advisors you know, shared what we were doing and they were very careful because at the end of the day, they knew that they're going to own the majority of this at the end of the process. Mm -hmm. So they wanted the best for us even before that was the case. Um, in terms of advisors, there's different type of types of advisors. And I think on our closing call, there was probably 30 different advisors on the line. So okay. this, this process is not a cheap process, <laughs> you know, in any way, yeah. uh, not, not at our size. Um, and, and it typically costs millions of dollars mm -hmm. uh, to do. So, but the role of advisors for us was, I mean, we, we, you know, we found each other. There was no, uh, no matchmaker, no, no Tinder of the, uh, you know, <laughs> the M&A world uh, uh, that we were swiping left and right on. Uh, but we, we did hire advisors. We hired BDO um, to when, once we were engaged to assist us and walk us through. I'm an operator of a company. I'm not a banker. And I, I, and I would advise your viewers to always work with advisors, even if you, you, you think it's expensive. Uh, not necessary because they'll get you more money, but you've got a much higher chance of completing you all. Mm -hmm. But more than anything, it's a lonely position to be in. I mean, you're under NDAs. You can't speak to anyone mm -hmm. uh, unless they're an affiliate and an advisor. And, you know, and, I mean, maybe some of your viewers are on their 10th company that they've sold, and that's a bit different. But, but it's, you need someone to walk you through the process and to look out for you. And having a, a, a middle a, a middleman, if you like, or a middle woman, uh, we have both on us, um, then you, uh, you also can give them the difficult discussions. You know, so, mm -hmm. that, you, you know, if, if you're asking for something, you know, they may not like or, uh, you know, or vice versa, by the way, then it softens the blow a bit and it makes it less personal. I have to say, we didn't really need that in the end with Susquehanna. You know, it was a great uh, relationship from day one. But uh, but I know that that's been good in the past uh, for us as we've, as we've done our own acquisitions historically. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, Nimsy was part of the due diligence team. Uh, I hope I'm allowed to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, I buy Susquehanna and uh, probably we're the most scared of you because, <laughs> you know, there's no wall going to be pulled over your eyes. And, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, and I have to say, you know, I was pretty nervous about having Nimsy involved. Not, nothing wrong with Nimsy, but I knew you're already, you, you know, you speak to our competitors regularly and you're very well connected in the industry. Um, and, uh, but uh, in the end, it was an incredibly confidential process. Mm-hmm. Nimsy carried out, you know, what I would consider a very extensive set of interviews and, uh, and reporting. And um, actually, I think it strengthened our relationship with Nimsy because we really just saw, you know, what a great outfit you guys are. And, and I say this, by the way, not as a paying customer. <laughs> yes, that's you true. Know. And this is good to point out as well. <laughs> so thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you found it um, uh, enjoyable and useful as well in the end and mm. uh, that maybe the outcome wasn't so scary as what you were afraid of in the beginning. Um, yeah. Well, it's only day one, by the way. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. But um, you were saying um, as well there that um, people have told you, you know, this is not for the faint hearted doing something like this, um, but that you found it quite enjoyable. And I mean, just knowing from what we've done as well with the, um, the SWOT analysis, strength, weakness, opportunity and threat, of course, that's basically, you know, other people weeding through your business and pointing out what's going well, what could be improved, things like that. And like you said, we weren't the only ones involved. So um, would you say something like that, as painful as it might be sometimes when someone also points out what might be, you know, an area for improvement, that ultimately that is something you know, that can move your business forward as well? Is that why it was an enjoyable experience or? Um... Yeah, 100%. You you find out. Every, I know my business so much better than I did pre the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I've looked at the business through so many different eyes. And uh, I would say our business is infinitely stronger as a result. I mean, you've got the NIMSY SWAT. And it's never nice to hear something bad about yourself. Uh, you know, uh, or bad about your company. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's constructive or not. It feels the same. But at the end of the day, you get used to hearing this. And if you're hearing it from people who want the best for you uh, and you can really trust that they're not just trying to, re- uh, you know, reduce your price or or, uh, or, or damage your confidence. Uh, and I had that with Nimsy. I had it with Susquehanna and the other advisors that, that, that Susquehanna put on board. Uh, for themselves. And um, now we've taken all of that information. And I have to say our clients, by the way, were part of the process. Uh, Mm -hmm. We brought our clients, our biggest clients along and we heard, you know, from them. So, you know, we've made a lot of changes in the business in Mm -hmm. the six months of the process uh, that we've gone through. And I think it's a, a much more, it's a more formidable business as a result. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about some of those uh, changes that you've either already made or um, something you have coming up now um, that the deal has closed? Yeah, uh, I'll give you an example. The way we uh, run our um, feedback from clients and the way we document and report it, um, the financial information, we, we, we run a full C-suite even before the deal we have a large finance team but the way you cut information the way it gets analyzed and and uh and the speed of which that happens and then flows throughout the business uh is infinitely better 
the way you understand the market and how you fit into the market. And because most companies look at the market through their own eyes, they don't look at it from other people's eyes and other people's point mm -hmm. of view. And, uh, and, and every company has misconceptions about how the world sees them. So we, we got all of that information and, you know, uh, and my team and I have an, a wonderful management team who are all very excited about this, um, you know, and they've been fully backed by Susquehanna, uh, have got used to taking this information and reacting uh, with, you know, immediately uh, uh, on the information that they've been receiving. So it's the, you get used to working at a different speed. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see. And um, oh, I just had a question there on the tip of my tongue, but it escaped me. But it doesn't matter. I have a million more, so <laughs> that's okay. Um, I, um, I, I actually, and I hope you don't mind me asking, and you can um, decline as well. But I realize I don't know the the size of the investment. Is that confidential, or is that something you can tell us? Yeah, um, we decided along with Susquehanna to keep the. Uh, the valuation metrics and the size of the deal confidential, but I, I would say, you know, we are both very happy with, uh, with it. Okay, good. Because I mean, you should be saying that, uh, you know, you, it is a very costly process that costs millions. I assume it must be worth it then in the end. <laughs> uh, let's all hope so. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, so then um, what are, yeah, you, you talked about some of the plans already that you have, um, but is there anything more specific um, that you have coming up in the immediate future? I know you always, um, we've spoken a lot about WordSync, your platform, um, but what um, about, you know, um, like going abroad more, your um, geographic uh, reach? Is, are there any plans in the pipeline? Yeah. Um we are a market leader in Europe. Uh, we're one of the largest uh, interpreting providers in Europe. Uh, we're also a major translation provider. Um, and we have a US presence and we have a good US business. Um, but we realize that, I mean, 50% of the revenue, tens of billions of dollars reside in the US and, mm -hmm. and our market share there is way too small. So uh, we, will, uh, we will grow our focus in the US. I mean, we, we're still looking to grow it in, in, in Europe and Asia, uh, but U.S. will be a larger focus of the business moving forward. Uh, and, and we'll look to do that organically, but also inorganically. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, that's one area. Uh, but we also want to speed up the development. You know, um, WordSync is underwritten by a lot of AI and machine learning. Um, and you get to a point, you know, when you have a piece of software like that, where it's very hard to compete with because you, you need the data to compete and it's the amount of data that you collect. So uh, I think with the, you know, with the investment and the ecosystem of Susquehanna, uh, 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 you know, working with, with our team here and our R&D center, where I'm actually sit, sat in at the moment, you know, we're going to be able to bring out uh, products much quicker and speed up our existing roadmap. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, and then um, something to um, come back to that you already mentioned earlier. Um, you know, we talked about the whole process now and what it means for the big word, but um, let's expand our view a little bit and talk about the industry. 
uh, about the industry impact. We've seen so much investment and mergers and acquisitions in the last while. And the trend you already pointed out is that, or something interesting about this, uh, and that uh, my colleagues from uh, Multilingual, they interviewed you about this yesterday as well. Um, here's the article on Multilingual. Um, and they also wrote about the fact um, that there's a new trend in the language and technology sector, and that is a shift of capital from the US to other countries, particularly in the EU and other parts of Europe. Um, because previously it was more um, that the money was going uh, into the US. Now it's um, also um, that the um, private equity firms in the US are investing abroad. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Look at the, the where who who are the biggest spenders in the industry? I mean, every single, you know, in every single geolocation, the biggest spenders are governments, mm -hmm. and uh, the gov the European governments have a lot of laws that require them to essentially uh, translate and interpret in order to communicate with with the populations of those countries. So. Um, you know, and where there are contracts, there are companies to service them. And where there are companies to service them, eventually there will be investment. But that's happened very slowly in our industry, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. And uh, but now you're starting to see people wake up. And I used to say uh, the names of all the tech companies we work with, because, you know, that was, you know, that was a you know big turn on for whoever I was talking to in the pub mm -hmm. or the local bar. Uh, and now I tell them, you know, all, all of our government clients, and I think that actually they're equally uh, as excited about them. And, and I always say the government uh, governments are great clients. They they don't go bankrupt, or at least not the ones we work with. Um, they pay on time, uh, and uh, and they play the volume game. One thing I would say though is we have a great private sector business and that is growing very fast, especially in the tech space and in the e-commerce space. Uh, and what we've done is we've used best practices amongst each different industry and pre-programmed them into the WordSync application so that when WordSync automatically generates uh, an ideal workflow for our client, they, they're actually, without even knowing it, they're utilizing these best practices. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, something else that um, was mentioned also in the article from uh, Multilingual, since we're talking about WordSync here and uh, technology again, is um, of course this trend that we've seen for a long time and that is more this blending of uh, technology and human service in our industry. And I know um, you are working a lot on um, um, increasing efficiencies, I want to say, with WordSync and automating what can be automated. Um, so how do you see the, the future of the industry there? Yeah, I, first of all, I think that there'll always be room in our industry for the linguists. And I think mm -hmm. there'll, there'll always be a, a necessary part of, uh, of what we at The Big Word do. Uh, but I think the computer-aided translation is real and, it, and it's a lot more than you know, a workbench and some translation memory. You know, we see, uh, and under WordSync, you can, if we take translation as the example, you know, we can split a document up. We use nested translation memories and machine translation, and we are splitting it and figuring out which segment, uh, you know, is the cheapest and best way to do it. Now, what does that look like as a linguist? It means that you have to be multifunctional. But actually, our linguists, um, are, are not being paid less than they were 10 years ago when they were doing 2,000 words a day. Mm -hmm. And many of them can do 15,000 words a day today. 
uh, and they're not having to work, you know, you know, three times uh, harder, you know, four times harder or five times harder, but they are having to work with the tools. Mm -hmm. So it's become, you know, it's becoming quite a technical job uh, uh, from a tool perspective. Um, uh, you know, so I, I see that that continuing and that trend continuing. Uh, we think machine translation is very exciting uh, because there's a whole, you know, I, I, I always tell people that the world's content almost doubles every single year and we've done a lot we've actually paid a lot of money to get this research mm -hmm. and you know so why is why is the language industry not doubling because really we we translate a percent of the world's content mm -hmm. and that percent should in theory be flat but it's not and the reason is there's not an roi for a lot of that content despite nearly all content i mean you could write anything you know uh i just got a nice burger you put it on Twitter, that has commercial value to an advertiser. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because first of all, they can advertise in the tweet. And second of all, they know you like burgers. <laughs> yeah. So they want to understand it and they want to interact with you. So all content has value, but can you get an ROI? And that's really where machine translation comes in. On the interpreting side, uh, you know, Wordsync does include machine interpreting and it's not a voiceover of, machine translation because we don't speak in the way uh yeah. we don't speak in the way we talk it also is in transcription so the industry needs to become more of a multilingual communication business than anything else and then you're going to get two different types of companies you're going to get the companies like the big word who are in the lang tech side mm -hmm. uh, uh and uh you know i like that phrase i keep using it but uh you know, just language technology side. And then you're going to get the people who are in the pure service side. And, uh, you know, and I think that, you know, they're complementary to each other. Yeah, absolutely. And there's actually a few things I want to pick up on here. Um, first thing about the content creation, you're absolutely right. Um, we're continuously creating more content, especially ever since uh, basically the, the internet democratized access to information. And there's more and more content also coming out in um, languages that are not English because still a big portion of the internet is in English. Um, mm. And especially we can expect to see a, a lot more, like really an explosion of content once 5G has been widely um, implemented. I mean, there's still a way to go there, but once that happens um, and it'll be even easier to stream uh, content as well, um, I think we can expect a lot more content and a lot more work and growth for the language industry. But of course, you're right. Also, part of the job is to um, well highlight um, why people should translate and make um language accessible and that this is of course all about the end users and reaching um people who are actually the actual consumers and making more of that um then yeah as far as machine interpreting goes as well this has personally surprised me a lot in the last years and i've seen your demonstration as well which was really great i have to say um because you know i'm an interpreter by trade um or i'm a trained interpreter i should say and um, I always thought as well, hmm, I don't know if we're, if we're ready yet, you know, machine translation is really good, uh, but uh, yeah, language, like spoken language is less perfect and it's less predictable and it's just kind of harder to deal with. But, and it is not perfect yeah. yet, but it has come and a long very way. Expensive. It's very, very expensive to procure spoken, the spoken word or uh, interpreting. You know, if you think about it compared to, translation is a, it's a huge investment uh, 
you know, for people who use it. So we don't see machine interpreting replacing the humans in, no, me neither. in, in any way, in, not even in the same way as, uh, as translation, because you can segment a document and utilize different tools. You can't segment a conversation that's happening in, you know, live. Um, anyway. <laughs> but, we, yeah, but we do think that when you check into a hotel, um, if there isn't a speaker of that language that, that you need to speak, then you could talk into uh, an iPad and, uh, you know, with the WordSync app on. And you're not going to get a perfect interpretation, but you are going to be able to check into the hotel and you're going to be able to ask whether uh, where the nearest Chinese is or, or the best yeah. Italian in the area is. And, and the receptionist, a real-life person, is going to be able to respond back. Uh, and same if you go into a hospital or, uh, you know, or any other building that's public. Yeah, I would agree. And that there's so many cases because when we talk about this sometimes in the interpreting community as well, um, people just think to, uh, tend to think of the, um, the perfect scenario and how things should be. But then there are so many cases where there's no interpreting yet at all. So there is no, not even a case to be made about whether it's going to replace humans or not because there is zero interpreting for now. But there's many scenarios where it's better to have some communication, even if it's imperfect, than having no communication. Uh, I personally yeah. ended up in the ER in Spain once and nobody spoke English. <laughs> and I have a little bit of Spanish, but um, and I was so out of it, I didn't really care anymore at that point. But it would have been <laughs> helpful to have at least some communication, even if it was just a device that uh, would give me a few extra words of what the doctors were talking about. You know, so and of course, that, that, later, that's right. Yeah. And you can chew machine interpreting for the medical setting, as an example. Yeah. But what we're also trying to do in WordSync is blur the, blur the barriers of different uh, spoken services. And I, I don't like to use interpreting and translation because only the industry uses those words. Yes. Our client say spoken or written. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, in our WordSync platform, you can press a button and go from a machine interpreting to a telephone interpreter mm -hmm. or a video interpreter. So it actually feeds demand for human interpreting. Uh, yeah. And we've seen more of those on the market, uh, those kinds of solutions in, uh, in the last while where you have the option for both. You can start out with the machine and if you need extra help, you can mm -hmm. request a human as well. Um, I can see more demand for that. Um, something else I wanted to come back to, and we briefly talked about the geographic reach and um, you know that it ties in also with the, the internet is still very English dominated. And funnily enough, I think uh, our industry, even though we are the language industry and we advertise multilingualism, we are still very dominated by the English language as well. Of course, on the one hand, more people speak English. So in the industry, we speak English with each other. Sure, uh, that's an argument to be made. But at the same time, we should also advertise more for multilingualism. And that also comes to when we think about our um, workflows, because in, in most cases, either the source language or the target language has English or you go through English, for, especially when uh, we translate into Asian languages. There's often still English in the middle. And I mean, you lose a lot there as well, right? And I know there are more companies now that go also from an Asian language to another Asian language. It's just an example now. But um, I think you mentioned you wanted to do more in that area as well, right? Yeah, yeah. from a translation point of view, I think there are a lot of companies that, that are good at that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not the norm. It's not the standard practice, as you mentioned. But I think if that is your goal, you can do that and you can... 
I think in interpreting, it's nearly impossible. There are a few companies that do it, but they do it for very specific contracts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, inter the interpreting industry is primarily into or out of English, whereas you can't say that for the translation industry. Uh, you know, Even it might a tendency, be one of the though. biggest. Yeah, you could say it's the biggest language mm -hmm. by far, but at a wild guess, 99.99% .99 of all interpreting has English either as the source or target language, depending on who you are, obviously. Uh, so, you know, and, and there are companies now that have come up and, you know, are, you know, mainly European companies who offer uh, a, a, a a non-English uh, source or target, mm -hmm. uh, probably wrong words to use in, in the uh, in the interpreting world. Um, and we just want a contract, a really big contract, actually, um, where where there's no English in this, uh, in uh, in one side, unless it happens to be an English user that needs needs English. But the majority of it doesn't include any English. And, you know, we're seeing uh, countries start to become more proud of their languages and mm -hmm. insist those languages are spoken. Uh, and, I, you know, I, I don't speak any language, embarrassingly. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I'm horrible at languages. I failed all my school. I, and, you know, I was bottom <laughs> of the class anyway, but certainly in languages, I, uh, you know, I, they didn't even let me do languages after a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I, that being said, I have a real respect for each country's language because it's part of their culture. Yeah, and if you take true. English away, you know, and I was having this conversation with a, a big Israeli technology company, a huge multi-billion, I was talking to the CEO of it, and he was saying, you know, I need you to train our, our team in English. Can the big word do that? So I said, but you know, what's made you so successful is your culture. And if you bring my language into your business and you enforce that you will also bring the culture with it you will start to lose that mm -hmm. so we actually encourage uh you know um, our, our clients to utilize their language now they always say there's a big problem that my own teams can't communicate with each other and we see this in our office in india where where there's so many languages that are spoken as mother tongue in india they mm -hmm. just say okay screw it let's let's speak english to each other and I, uh, I make a big effort when I, they're in Pune, so I make a big effort when I'm there to speak Marithi and the, uh, the, uh, the guy who runs it for us says, Josh, everyone speaks in English. Half the team don't even speak Marithi. So I said, I know, but it's about respect. Yeah, that's true. And that's the other part. You know, when you speak someone's language and you go to the effort of doing so, uh, it's, it's huge respect to them. I so agree, yeah. now there is a world where you can get your, Emails translated really easily, mm -hmm. and you can put on there it was machine translated. Please excuse the odd error, but uh, I'm always shocked when I get when I I, I use WordSync myself uh, to speak to my mother-in-law, and we have full conversations with machine interpreting. And she'll <laughs> give me a recipe to all her uh, her, her uh, Yemenite dishes, and uh, her family from Yemen, and it is unbelievable, and it's it's changed our relationships. I I can say it from personal. You know, personally, I, I've seen it in action. Absolutely. And it makes such a big difference. On the one hand, like you said, it's the, the cultural um, side that is massive uh, in, in language. And also, I mean, if you're not really a native speaker or you haven't lived in a country for a very long time, you also miss so much. You can't get past a certain barrier. You know, you miss the... Uh, 
um, the little jokes mm. and more plays that your friends make or like the client makes and you cannot bond as closely. So, yeah, and I agree. I mean, we're not as lucky that we are fluent in every single language and that's why there are language services. Um, but it's still, I think it makes a big difference, like you said, to um, show respect by even trying and also valuing the other language. Because often yeah. I find there's a um, bit too much... Um, I don't know how to say this without sounding very negative, but there's a big English dominance and I use English every day. I speak English with my husband yeah. as well. Um, so I don't mean this negatively. I like the English language a lot, but um, you know, we should not, uh, we, I'm starting to also be more proud of the German language that is very hated by many people. Nobody likes German really. And most of all the Germans, but um, you know, <laughs> it's, well, I'm starting I, I to embrace German. it again. <laughs> I studied German for four years, and the only thing I remember is "Das ist nicht gut," because yeah. it was always written on my homework. Oh, uh, so, so, say, that's very negative. Yeah, no, but I wish I could speak German. I mean, look, I mean, I, there are a lot of German speakers. Germany is a huge country. Yes. Look how many Spanish speakers there are in the world, and there's there, there's you know six hundred million Hindu speakers. Yeah. There's uh, you know billions of uh, well it's not billions sorry there's a, over a billion people who are speaking uh you know simplified chinese and uh, yeah. you know and if you want to win their hearts and minds you have to speak to these people in their own language and the investment's not that big when you consider the market size yeah and especially as everyone uh, these days has a mobile phone and access to the internet uh, people want yeah. to consume uh content in their own language and that's also where our um study i don't know if you're familiar with it our um project underwear we call it that looks into um buying behavior of um the end users basically the end consumers um it's based on uh, a theory by our uh, one of our founders renato beninato um who said that uh, it doesn't it doesn't get much more personal than language language so that basically when you're at your most private let's say sitting around in your underwear at home on your laptop browsing the internet on your phone or whatever you want to consume content in your own language you might be comfortable speaking another language let's say english in a business context all day long but when you get home you just want to relax and you know switch off and it. consume it. it in your own language that speaks to your heart listen that happens in my own home my wife speaks to my kids at dinner while I'm sat there in Hebrew. Yeah. And I tell her, I don't understand a word of what you're saying. Can you not speak English? And she says, I want to be able to speak to my own kids after, you know, she runs her own business. Uh, I want to be able to sit down and speak with my own kids in my own language without having to translate everything in my head. And she's lived the majority of her life in the U.S. She's an American citizen. She speaks better yeah. English than me, you know. But nevertheless... I, I, and I, I did read some research in NIMSI uh, uh, and in other areas as well, where you are more likely to buy in your own language. And yes. I totally get that. Because I, you, you know, also, you tend to, like, if you search for something on the internet as well, right? You, like, yeah. I would search in German usually, right? <laughs> and so what pops up first is websites that are in German as well, right? So, I mean, that's yes. not the only reason, because also, again, like, it connects closely to you when you have something in your own language that connects to your culture. Um, yeah. But also, f even starting at something like search engine optimization, you want to make sure it's in the right language so you reach people in that in that specific market. Yeah, look, we've all traveled. Uh, you know, I spent my life on a plane, even <laughs> even in COVID days. And you you're in the middle of nowhere. You know, I, I remember I was in the I was in uh, the desert somewhere, or not the desert, the jungle in Botswana. 
and I didn't hear anyone speaking English. And then I heard these people speak English in, in one of the tents near me. And I ran over and I just wanted a <laughs> conversation with them. And the thing is, everyone could speak English that I was with uh, in, in our little uh, camp. Uh, but, it, but it was different because I, it wasn't the English I craved. It was the fact that I felt connected to them. Mm-hmm. So when you speak the same language, you, you actually feel connected. Yeah. And, uh, and I knew they were making an effort, these other people, to speak to me. So when a brand translates something, it feels like the brand is going to the effort to make it no effort for you, even yes. if you can speak the language of the brand. Exactly, exactly. Usually when people have the choice, even if they speak, let's say, English well, uh, then friends of mine here, they would choose the German version of the website because it is still easier, it's still more convenient. Or if you have um, like a big um, report about your medical uh, results, you know, it's you yeah. might understand it in English, but you don't understand it as detailed in English as you would in German. And you want it to be detailed, especially if it's very important. Yeah. But um, to the point of your wife as well, I just want to add, <laughs> since uh, I have a little daughter And like I said, my husband is Irish and he speaks English to her and I speak German to her because it's also very important to us that we um, raise her with both languages and both cultures. And I also yeah, feel like it would be very sad if I couldn't speak to my own child in my own language because it's just... It, it would be sad. But, but again, you, you bring up your child uh, in, in a world where we accept different cultures and we embrace them. And also you're changing the brain to, to be able to learn to speak to two languages i mean i learned to read hebrew as a kid no one taught me to to speak it so I've, i can read it i have no idea what i'm reading i know what sounds they make and my kids play with me all the time saying daddy can you read this and you know and it's usually you know too weak to say on uh, on your live show <laughs> <laughs> fair enough um, okay, wow. Um, we completely drifted off from uh, the original topic, but I love this kind of stuff um, when we go a little bit more in depth and just, uh, you know, have a bit of a conversation about the industry and about what it is we're trying to do as well, I think. And again, it, it shows the massive potential that there is out there as well. You were saying how many millions of speakers or billions sometimes of this language or this language are out there. Well, you know, then it's time to tap into that market because that also means uh, that sounds very bad now because I don't want it to sound like it's all about profit. Then again, we are talking about investment, so there is money involved. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it is about profit. Exactly. You translate for profit. No one, you know, I mean, governments do it because they want to help their societies and in turn their societies work and pay taxes. And if you're a private sector company, it's, it's It is about profit. Yeah. You want to sell more, right? And uh, and CMOs, <laughs> yeah, CMOs know this very well. But it's hard to convince the because there's a lot like any investment. There's often a lag, and it takes time, and it's hard, hard for them yeah. to convince their colleagues. Yeah, no, it definitely, of course, it is about money and profit for the companies that are in it. But it also adds value, I think, truly um, by, for example, you know like you said, providing a level of respect as well to the end users in the end, um, or, you know, just to, to show that other cultures and other languages matter and that it is not all about English as much as we love the language. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you all speak English because otherwise I probably wouldn't be able to speak to anyone. Well, then you would know what it's like uh, growing up in mainland Europe. And, you know, here I'm, I'm from the west of Germany and would drive 
40 minutes and I'll be in a country where nobody speaks my language. But it makes yeah. you a little bit braver, I think, sometimes. Well, I do know because <laughs> I travel to a lot of countries and I uh, spend a lot of money on big word interpreters because, you know, I frequently find myself in places where where they don't speak English or, or I don't want the message to get lost in uh, translation. Exactly. Um, I see we have a, a comment there. Uh, it's actually very tiny for me to read, uh, even though I'm already wearing my glasses. One second. <laughs> I need to check this out more closely. I would read it for you, but it's blurry on my screen. It's also for you. Okay, one second. We can figure this out from here. Oh, this is actually from one of my colleagues. Um, a little bit of an advertisement for NIMSI saying that we provide essential insights, um, for example, how buyers prefer to um, buy in their own language. That is true. Um, thank you, Christopher. Glad to see that you're watching. Uh, does anyone else out there who's uh, watching maybe have a comment for Josh? I'm going to keep the conversation going for another few minutes just so you have a chance to pose a question. If not, I'm sure you can comment afterwards and maybe tag Josh or maybe you can answer any questions that people have then. Um, Otherwise, I know you're a very busy person, so I don't want to keep you for too much longer. I've already taken up a lot of your time. Uh, Josh, is there anything we haven't talked about yet that is something you still want to highlight about um, the new um, partnership with SPC Global and what's next for the big word? No, nothing in particular. But if you are running an LSP and you're, uh, and you're watching and you want to contact me, uh, uh, you know, please... The best way to always get me is on LinkedIn. And if you search for Joshua Gould, the big word, you, I will come up. Um, and, you know, I, I like to have LinkedIn friends. So, you know, just befriend me and email me through the platform or email me directly if you got my email. Uh, uh, you know, we, you know, you know, the new partnership is given us the ability to, you know, to have these type of conversations. And uh, we're looking for like-minded partners here, uh, you know, and, you um, If you think you if you understand WordSync and you, you think that your client base can benefit from it, I'm also happy to have a conversation about partnershiping. Uh, and it's one of the things, Sarah, and this is nothing to do with the deal itself, but the industry hasn't been a very friendly industry at the at the higher level. I mean, linguists are very friendly with each other. LSPs have not historically, <laughs> and they don't work very nicely together. Uh, and that has changed over time. Um, But when I became CEO a couple of years ago, the big word, uh, I, I was previously CEO of a defense company that as the big word happened to own, that was run separately. And we worked all the time with our competition. We bid against them and sometimes we were teaming with them on bids. And I, and I spent a lot of time trying to convince the industry we need to work together. Uh, at, the, at, the, at the top level, at the LSP level, we need to partner with each other uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's good for business, it's good for industry, but also we all do different things better than others. And, you know, so if you want to take the absolute ultimate uh, um, products to market, you need to work with, with people in your industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we've done that. And, you know, I, I, I can't remember what NDAs I signed yesterday. So I don't never mind three days ago and three years ago. So I don't want to say who they are, but I can tell you there are top LSPs, top 20 LSPs that we send work to and receive work to and we work together. And, you know, if, again, if that's an in, uh, of interest to anyone, 
um, and partnerships have to be give and take, but, uh, you know, they have to be neutral, but, uh, you know, please again, contact me on LinkedIn. You know, I, I, I live for the industry. It's my passion. It's not just the business I'm in, uh, and I care deeply about it. So, you know, please don't be a stranger. Nice. I think that wraps it up very well. And like you said, it needs to be a mutual partnership, like in a, in a good marriage, um, bringing it back around to your opening statement as well. <laughs> so, um, yeah, someone saying greetings from Port um, Puerto Rico. Um, well, hello, greetings from Germany. Um, okay, I don't see any other comments right now. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Josh. Um, we almost made it to the full hour now. So <laughs> I have taken up a lot of your time. I really appreciate that you took the time to talk to me about this. Um, super exciting and congratulations again on the new investment on the partnership with SPC Global. And yeah, keep us in the loop on what's next. Thanks. I look forward to breaking some news at some point with you again in the future. Perfect. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.